0: Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is October 3rd, and today we are going to preview Atlanta United's match at Philadelphia on Wednesday at Subaru Park in Chester, Pennsylvania. Kickoff will be at 7.39 p.m. The game will be on Apple, and I hope that you'll follow my live coverage here on Twitter at Doug AJC. In today's podcast, you're going to hear from Gonzalo Pineda, Team Captain Brad Guzan, who's the subject of many questions that we'll get to in the second section of the podcast, and Saba Lopchanice. We've got one voicemail that came in. I'll answer that. And we'll go through some stats and preview materials for tomorrow's very, very important match, and we're going to get to that in just a second. If this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
1: The AJC's trusted veteran political
0: voices, Greg Bluesteak, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut, are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. So I mentioned that this is a very, very big match for Atlanta United, and here's why. The Five Stripes have three matches remaining in the regular season. At Philadelphia, against Columbus, and then at Cincinnati on Decision Day. If Atlanta United wins those three matches, it is going to fulfill its goal of finishing in at least fourth in the Eastern Conference. Finishing in fourth is important because it guarantees you home field advantage in the first round of the playoffs, which is a best-of-three format. And we're going to talk about the playoff format with one of the questions that was asked later in the podcast, but I'm going to go through how the whole thing is set up. It's uh, it, you know it, it changes every year depending upon MLS's whims, and we'll see what happens next year, but I'm going to go through what it is this year. So let's go through some stats about this game really quick, some some key numbers. Philadelphia is one point ahead of Atlanta United. So Atlanta United is in six. Philadelphia is in fifth. Philadelphia is 14-8-9 this year. It has lost just one game at home where it is nine, one and 9-1-5, so it's fantastic at home. However, the Union have five consecutive draws in league competition. Atlanta United on the road is 3 of 5 and 7. Philadelphia has scored 53 goals with 37 against. Its expected goals, though, is 45.6 scored. So it's kind of gotten lucky a little bit with 40 goals um, allowed. They're expected to be allowed. So it's gotten a little lucky there, too. Atlanta United has scored 61 with 47 allowed. And it's gotten really lucky because its expected goals is 40.8. So it scored 21 or 20 more goals. Than it probably should have. Uh, A little bit like Austin last year, and Austin has come back to the fold. Um, I I really would like to figure out what the expected goals are during the last seven games because I think it's probably a little more one-for-one than maybe 1.25-to-one like it is right now. Atlanta has one loss in its past seven since the League's Cup debacle, and that coincides with the summer transfer window and, and the fantastic work done by Carlos Bocanegra and the other guys in the front office to really strengthen the roster with quality players, and we're going to get into that in the mailbag. The players to watch for for Philadelphia are Daniel Gazdag, 13 goals and 5 assists, Julian Carranza, 12 goals and 4 assists, Mikael Ure, 8 goals and 3 assists, and, of course, Andre Blake, who typically has a good game against Atlanta United. Atlanta United is led by Tiago Almada with 10 goals and 16 assists. With one more assist, he becomes second in Atlanta United franchise history. Uh, All time, surpassing Miguel Almiron and just behind Julian Gressel. Yorgo Shakamakis is still in the competition for the Golden Boot. He is tied with 15 goals right now. He's also got two assists. Brooks Lennon has four goals and 10 assists, career highs for him. Caleb Wiley with four goals, four assists, career highs for him. Tyler Wolf, five goals, one assist, career highs for him. And Saba Lopchenice, three goals and three assists. So those are some of the big numbers. For you to keep in mind going into tomorrow's match. Now let's get into some of the audio. Here's Pineda talking about how the team spent the bye week. I had asked him after the big win against Montreal what he had hoped to do, so I wanted to follow up and see if he accomplished it.
2: I think very well, very well. First of all, like uh, you know, uh, the intensity in the training sessions is is getting better and better. The performance in the training sessions by everyone has been outstanding. So I think it was pretty good. Then, a couple of tactical things that we needed to work on regarding Philadelphia. But more important is how we are moving the ball from back to front, how we are disrupting with uh, uh, less touches and progressing the ball faster uh, in the attacking half. And I think that's been very good.
0: And then I wanted to also just clarify that some of this work is done to try to be better when teams press. I'm curious, I'm assuming Philadelphia is gonna press. They're a team that doesn't like the ball, they like to kind of create turnovers and then counters. Um, so I'll be curious what they do tomorrow.
2: Yes, um, the other day when the supporters were here, were working exactly on that. Um, so it was a pretty good session, uh, playing under pressure, restarting from chaos a little bit based on, on what we know about Philadelphia's style, uh, it's, it's, it's about a chaotic game in some ways and we need to be able to reset and restart from those uh, chaotic moments, And but uh, trying or aiming to uh, dominate in possession, which is always trying to get the control of the game based on on our possession. But from there, not just being content or happy just with possession in deeper areas. We have to be able to disrupt that pressure and progress the ball faster in the attacking half. So that's that's what we've been working on.
0: And then I wanted to get his take on the Montreal goal. It was a a really simple goal, just a ball over the top, cut back cross, Uh, a runner that wasn't quite tracked, easy goal, if they worked on that in the past week.
2: It's part of that, every time we work in attack, we work in defense in some way, so uh, yeah, it's been a point of emphasis. I think it's more attention rather than players just okay. not, not knowing or not understanding those situations. Many situations we solve and probably we just miss one and that's a goal. We've been a little bit uh, unlucky on those, but uh, it, it's a game, again, we have to try to aim for the perfect game in terms of defending those type of situations and tracking runners inside the box and attention on those second balls and and crosses from far and balls into the channel and those defensive situations, um, I think the players know is more about being fully aware in every minute of of the game.
0: And knowing that the team has its fate in its hands, it controls its destiny, to throw out two cliches, which I abhor, if it makes it easier to, to motivate the guys
2: players are motivated and motivation is one thing commitment is another one uh, i think it's different there. so motivated they're happy you see the training sessions they're happy they're enjoying themselves they're they're having good mood uh, good interactions actually the football has been okay uh, but it's about the commitment in those tough moments in difficult moments in the game against philadelphia the field, you know, is that 100%, is that at times not the best field to play on the ground and all that, Um, them playing very, very aggressively, pressing very hard, and in those tough moments are we fully committed to the cause, are we fully committed to to win and earn those three points and fight for those, and uh, is our full commitment there, motivation, honestly, I don't care, it's about the commitment, it's about being fully committed to uh, the vision to finish top four, and now that is in our hands. I can see that the players are committed and that's the most important part.
0: When y'all came out of the Leagues Cup break you talked about the next 10 matches or 10 finals and I think you've only lost one of those so when it comes to going back to the motivation uh, and the commitment it seems like you really don't have anything to worry about over these next three games I would think in those two areas. Well,
2: uh, I, I would say yes, like if we divide those 10 finals, of course, we, we part of the message is yes, 10 finals, but one at a time, right? So the next right. final is the most important one, similar to playoffs, is this game, you know, is the, the step uh, that we have to take care of in order to go for the next step. So it's always um, different phases. But uh, I would say that in the last seven games, if you can divide that, I think we have one of the best records in the last seven right. games. So that's positive. But now, these last three, if we divide now in the last three, I think it's a perfect schedule for us. I, I couldn't ask for anything better than facing the fourth place, the third place, the first place in the last uh, game. It's perfect. It's kind of a pre-season for playoffs. Those are going to be finals. Those are going to be intense. Those are going to prepare us fantastically for what is coming. And of course, we, our objective is to finish top four. But I would say that just being part of those matches with that intensity, with that mentality of playing finals, I think is perfect to have success in the in the playoffs so um, that's the mentality
0: Brad Guzan was next up? These interviews were done on Monday, and what how did the team look during the bye week? What is their mood right now?
1: yeah, sessions were good, training's been good um, you know we we know they're big games for us in terms of uh you know where we can finish the season um, and what those uh, what those different spots um, entail. So we're we're excited for the challenge ahead.
0: Now that you know you can finish top four if you went out, does that help sharpen the focus at all, or, or does that help the motivation?
1: Um, no, I listen. I, I don't think at this time of year you don't you don't need extra motivation. It's that's just what it is. Um, and so you know we know that. We want to try to be on the up going into the playoffs. Um, we've got three games. If we win those three games, then that, you know, comes with its own little reward, and, and that's uh, the home field advantage sort of thing for the first round and, and hopefully later on. So, um, you know, we, we know what comes with those with those with these three games coming up, and so um, it's not an extra motivation. It's uh, it's hopefully something we can achieve.
0: Now, Atlanta United has not won in Chester since 2018, so that's three consecutive losses. And I wanted Brad's thoughts on why it's hard to play there.
1: I mean, first and foremost, you you think about Philly as a team. You know, they're they're a good team. They've got good individuals. They've got a very clear, um, and and they understand the way they want to play, um, and uh, they execute um, extremely well, especially when playing at home and They make it a tough place to go
0: now with that in mind atlanta united did defeat philadelphia two to nothing earlier this year at mercedes-benz stadium and handled them really well so jason asked brad how do you carry over that success into wednesday's match
1: yeah um i think you know obviously looking back at the you know the, the the home game and how we played um how we imposed ourselves on them as opposed to waiting kind of for the game to to come to us um i think is is huge and and just um uh, understanding how we want to try to exploit their weaknesses or, or what we see as weaknesses and um doing that um consistently over the course of 90 minutes you know i, I think when you look at their team um, at any moment their transitional play is extremely good and and you've got to make sure Defensively you're ready, uh, even when we're attacking. And so um, being being switched on in, in those moments and not allowing them to to kind of turn the game, you know, into into a back and forth.
0: And then Jason followed up with just about how quickly the new guys, um Lopjenice, Mayomba, Silva, and Atiachi, how they're settling in.
1: You, know, you always want talented players to come in the door and, and push for, whether it be starting spots or not, or, or whatever, but just help the group push along um, quality wise. And, and we certainly done that, but I think most importantly, it's, it's been guys that are good guys and, and guys that, as you mentioned, have gone into the locker room and um, you know, they're able to be themselves, um, but at the same time fit into our group and, and feel comfortable. And, and I think that part is, is huge um when you're asking and demanding um what we are asking and demanding of those guys to do on the field and so to get the best of them on the field you have to make sure that they feel comfortable and feel part of a part of the group off the field and and they've been able to do that and we as a group have been able to to help them settle
0: and then how the they were able to help the guys get so comfortable
1: you know listen when when you've got guys that one have been in Europe or, or, or have played you know, international, um, internationally, they, they understand what it takes to play at a high level. And so uh, just having little conversations with them, you know, we do a good job as a club in terms of helping them off the field um, with whether it be housing, car, bank accounts, all these things um, that you probably don't think about from a media standpoint, when a new player comes to, to this country, um, different restaurants to go to different, you know, tried areas of the town of the city to go to whatever, right? Just things for them to, to stay busy. And so they're not just cooped up in a hotel room, cooped up at their house. It's it's getting them out and um, really feeling a part of it. And, and then on the field, you know, making sure they they understand that, you know, we we're we're counting on them to to be big players for us and, and um, holding them to, to a certain standard and knowing that we've got standards here that we want not only to me, but continue to, to raise the bar with.
0: And Lopchenice was last up. Good guy. He's dyed his hair like a bright white blonde. He he looked like a daffodil running around on the field from with my old eyes and from a distance at the training center on Monday. Uh, just curious, you know, the first week that he had off in Atlanta, he had to go to Europe to play with Georgia. So last week was kind of his first week without a game that he could kind of Go around the city, figure out what's going on, kind of learn a little bit. So I was curious what he did. How exciting has this been for you? Come to the team, team immediately starts winning. It's fighting for home field in the playoffs. Is this better than you anticipated? Um, I'm, it's so exciting and I'm so happy about that. You know,
2: yeah. I said also before, you know, I love I love
0: competition and we're going for championship. So it's great. And you got a week last week to, I guess, get more acclimated to the city because I think the other off week you were actually, you had to go back to Europe to play with yeah. Georgia. Yeah. What were you able to do last week to kind of just get a better feel for this place and the team and, and no, the city? You mean like what I Yeah, just what did you do with then. your off time?
2: No, I was in a train concert also. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was great. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like with um, my wife, were so many restaurants we were in. Atlanta, oh, okay. It was perfect, you know. So you had a good
0: time. And then here's Saba talking about the union.
2: Um, Honestly, I wish wish the games, uh, last games, and uh, they're a pretty good team, you know, so it will be a hard game for us, but we will
0: go for three points for sure. They're a very physical team. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you enjoy that style of play, or would you rather it be more open and technical? Uh, Honestly, they are
2: a very physical team, and they like the long balls, you know, they have their tactic. you know, they're good players, so we are ready for that.
0: All right, when we come back, we're going to take your voicemail. We have one voicemail, and I'm going to answer your questions. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs. And I'm Ned Ravone. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at
2: www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL.
0: The Atlanta Journal of Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, our politics, our breaking news, our investigations, food and dining, and so much more on AJC.com. Plus, you can get access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. So join our community by going to subscribe.AJC.com slash podcasts. That's subscribe.AJC.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Uh, before we get into the voicemail, I wanted to say a couple of things really quick. I wanted to thank my friend Grant. Grant. Uh, I was sitting at, at Fido's uh, last Thursday, having like an early dinner and he emailed me and said, Hey, my band is playing on spring street in Midtown. Part of this uh, culture push Midtown is doing to have some local artists come and play uh, almost like they're busking, but just kind of set up and, and go. And his band uh, was playing in front of a taco bell. And so I walked a couple of blocks down there and got treated to some fantastic music. So I wanted to thank Grant for thinking of me and inviting me. And if, any others out there have something similar in Midtown that I can get to? Feel free to invite me. I'd love to show up and support you. Um, so that was a lot of fun, and now we're going to get into the mailbag. That's four o four five two six AJCP. That's four o four five two six two five two seven. Josh from Roswell has a pretty interesting question. Hey Doug, it's Josh from Roswell. Hey, would love it if you could compare some of our recent signings, like Saba. Jande, Muyamba, uh, to our signings from the past, or even this season, like Etienne, Barry, um, Ariuho. I'm thinking Ariuho is kind of like a panic buy now looking back, but I know it's a little early and things look great for these new signings, but would love your opinion on how they compare and how they're different from signings in the recent past. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. Um, so a couple of thoughts, pop into my head. I don't think Arahujo was a panic buy. I mean, he's a guy who had led or helped Lille uh, win Ligue 1 and qualify for the Champions League. So I thought that was – everybody thought that was going to be a really good buy, especially after his first few games. He just saw how dynamic it was. But then you began to realize that he was also very limited, particularly when he got into the final third, just not good decision-making in a lot of ways. And that is one of the things that separates Silva and Lopjanice – from Arahujo, and I guess you maybe could argue Etienne, though I want to get to that in a second. Lopchenice and Silva don't try to do too much. That was one of the problems that Arahujo had. He tried to do too much every time he got the ball. Same for Jurgen Dom, for example, going back to another winger bought in the summer window. These guys usually try to keep it simple. They most of the time put their shots on goal, which is also something Arahujo never did. They don't take silly shots uh, like twenty-yard benders from outside the outside the box, which Arahujo tried to do and like Pity would try to do all the time, for example. Um so they're just good at keeping it simple and and kind of executing the tactics. I think Lobjanitse's first touch against Montreal was an assist on Yakamaki's goal, I believe. Um, and it was just a simple square ball. He could have easily tried to attack the post and got to the end line and hit a cutback cross or something. But he's, he did the simple thing. Miyamba reminds me a lot of Eric Rometty. When he came in that summer of 2018, I think people forget how good he was for Atlanta United. Um, He was a destroyer in that midfield working beside Darlington Nagby. And he did some of the same things that Miyamba does well. And I talked about this on the last podcast in realizing But sometimes to disrupt a counterattack, all you have to do is simply touch the ball lightly. Make the guy who has it have to stop for a half a second, have to regain control, have to take a different angle, and you give your teammates time on defense to find their marks, to find their spots, to make sure their spacing is right, to make sure the lines are tight. is very good at that. He's also very good at when he gets the ball – he doesn't dawdle on it too much. He gives it to, to Husetu, who's getting it forward now, or he gets it forward himself. He's not going to try to beat too many people with a dribble, though I've seen him do it a couple of times. Same with Remedi, But that's who he kind of reminds me of. Now, the next year, Remedi did not play very well at all for Atlanta United. Um, I don't think that'll be the case with Miyamba, but we'll see. And I, I don't really have anything to say about Thierry yet. He only played a few minutes last week. Uh, he's a different type of striker than Yakamakis and Miguel Berry. Um, he, he's not going to be a hold up guy, I don't think. Uh, you see, Yakamaki's wrestling with the big center backs. Uh, Thierry is not going to win too many of those. Um, he's more lithe than Yakamaki's or Barry. But we'll see what happens in these next three games. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch. It was a very impactful transfer window for Atlanta United. Now, on to the traditional questions. Well, before that, I want to also say. You may see me tweeting out some Braves stuff. I'm going to be part of the Braves' playoff coverage team. I'm not going to be missing anything for Atlanta United, um, I don't think. But I will be kind of doing both uh, over the next few weeks. I'll be part of the team of coverage, joining Justin and and Gabe and Sarah and, and Ken and, and Cunningham as the Braves try to win another World Series. So on to the traditional questions here. Sean, friend of the podcast, says... He was talking to a friend this past week. Well, it wasn't me, and I'm your only friend, so I don't know what's going on, Sean. But he wants to know, can you can I walk everyone through the format of the playoffs, and if the team places top four, what the playoffs might look like. So, it, nine teams in each conference qualify for the playoffs. Eight and nine is a wild card game. The winner of that game goes to face the top seed, which will be Cincinnati. And then it's simply laddering, of the bracket uh two play seven three play six four plays five it's best of three uh the higher seed gets as many as two home games if they're needed to win the best of three then once you get past that it's higher seed gets home field it's a one-off series which makes no sense to me why you do best of three to start with nine teams and then a one-off once you get past that but I don't get paid to make those decisions. Frankly, as I've said many times, you've heard me say many times, I wish they'd get rid of the playoffs altogether. Just supporter shield winner is your MLS champion. If you want to do some sort of playoff, then have the best of the East against the best of the West, one one team in each, and be done with it. it. It makes no sense to me that in all these professional sports leagues, you play so many games, and then you have so many playoff matches. It's silly. And I know it's the owners want the money and TV people want the viewership and the chance to sell ads, but it just waters down the quality and the impact of the leagues, is my opinion. E asks, in the winter transfer window, what position do you think the team should focus on if Almada ends up staying? Also, what are your thoughts on getting a new keeper next year? The team's not getting a new keeper next year. I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it. Guzan comes back on a contract. Jop comes back on a contract. Uh, Westberg's option is expired. I do think the team is going to try to bring in someone. Well, possibly try to bring in someone if they can find a good deal to push Guzan for that number one spot. I don't think they think Jop is it. Um, Or he would have started more games than he has this year when, when Guzan was injured. But that's what I think about the goalkeeper thing. As for what position, if Almada stays, a lot's going to depend upon what happens with Robinson. I don't think Robinson's going to be back, but you could see the team bringing in a center back. Um, Huzetu is gone. They can slide a Johnny Fortune into that role. So it may just be spending money to really try to increase the overall depth of the squad. A lot is going to depend upon if MLS changes its rules. If MLS gets rid of the under-22s or the young DPs or, or even DPs and just kind of opens it up and makes it a, here's the amount of money you have to spend, spend it however you want to type situation with a lot of a lot of people would like, then Atlanta United could do whatever it wants to. But I think it would still try to really increase the the quality of the depth, which is a, a big problem with for Major League Soccer right now for just about every team. On to a big fan of Guzan who says he thinks a Johnny Fortune is going to be a big part of the team's midfield next season. I think you're right. Given this possibility, what kind of role do you see him playing in the playoffs, especially in must-win away games where substitution choices will be crucial? Uh, you know, I don't know just yet. The playoffs are so spread out, you never are really going to have to worry about uh, having to sit guys and rest guys. The only thing you'd have to worry about is if an injury forces, you'd have to make a choice with your personnel. But if Atlanta United is sitting on the lead, uh, you know, and there's 10, 15 minutes left. Ozzie Alonso is, looks like he's healthy again. I can see him coming in just because of his experience and his wisdom. He's won MLS Cups with Seattle. He's won U.S. Open Cups. Um, but Johnny's not really a defensive midfielder. Johnny would be more of a Mateus Huzetu replacement. And I can see that, too, just to get fresh legs in for defense. And then our question of the week comes from Allen. <coughs> Looking ahead to the playoffs, these three-game series are a bit silly. Bring back the two-game home-at-homes, please. All right, I don't disagree with you on that. A critical swing factor in this format is going to be penalty kicks after full-time, and Atlanta United has a disadvantage at goalkeeper. I think every team has a disadvantage at goalkeeper because penalty kicks are geared toward the taker, not the saver. What are your thoughts on Pineda designating Jop to be the designated goalkeeper for penalty kicks? This is why he says it makes sense to buck conventional wisdom. Guzan's weakest attribute is shot-stopping, both by the eye test and the key stats. Well, again, it's like goalkeepers are expected to save like 25% of penalty kicks. I know Guzan hasn't saved many, but it's really a guessing game. It comes down to scouting and trying to figure out what is the probability this guy's going to go right or left, and then diving that way. And if the ball hits you or if you can get your hand on it, save. I don't know, and this is not to insult goalkeepers. I don't know how much skill there is in trying to save penalty kicks as much as it is scouting and then being committed to what the scouting says. Anyway, he continues, Jop has appeared much more agile. Jop has been practicing penalty kicks with the team throughout the year and can focus on this role exclusively. Now, this point I do like and I do think makes sense because when we're out there uh, two days a week watching training, the end of training, we see the guys practicing penalty kicks and kind of free kicks uh, from around 20 yards, 22 yards or so. And Jopp is almost always the goalkeeper uh, making those, those attempts to, to save those kicks. So he's faced, not in actual competition, but in training, a lot of penalty kicks this season. So in that way, I like your idea. A guy who's practiced it and done it, that makes a lot of sense to me. And it might be a question that I ask Pineda as we get closer to the playoffs. Now, I do want to, we should also just talk about this for one second. I said that if Atlanta United wins its next three games, it can finish at least fourth. If something else happens and it were to lose its three games, it still can't finish lower than seventh. It cannot be caught by NYCFC or Montreal, who are in eighth and ninth right now. So it's really. It just depends. If you can't get fourth, then who do you want to face first? We talked about this on the last podcast. I think New England would be a good first-round matchup for Atlanta United if it had to go on the road. Um, I wouldn't want to play Nashville. I wouldn't want to play Columbus. I wouldn't want to play Philadelphia. Orlando wouldn't bother me that much. But we're going to see what happens here these next three games. I'll be in Philadelphia. I'll be in Chester. Tomorrow night, I hope you'll follow my coverage on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. And I hope you'll subscribe to the newspaper. Subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. The phone number to call in your takes if you feel like calling in at 99 to take, and you can do it whenever you want to. It will get read on the podcast. That number's 404 526 AJCP. That's 404 526 2527. And just, you know, to two horn today, we had an outstanding sports section. Just a brilliant brilliant section and my boss had sent out an email to us today to compliment us on the work and I just want to go through a couple of things really quick just to try to convince you that you know we are worth the money. Mark Bradley and Ken Segura weighed in on Desmond Ritter and Georgia not looking so great this season. Two really good columns there. Ledbetter hopped on a a call in Boston on the flight back from London to write a couple of news bursts about the Falcons saying they're sticking with uh, Desmond Ritter and Kyle Pitts is not healthy. We had Justin Toscano do a really cool timeline of all the records the Braves have broken this season. We had Hawks Media Day from Lauren and Charlotte. Uh, Chip Towers wrote three stories about the Bulldogs, which included a surprise visit from Mark Richt. We had two videos from Sarah about the Bulldogs. Chad filed a story uh, from Georgia Tech. I wrote a kind of preview of Atlanta United with all that was at stake. And then I, I broke some news on a possible site for the United States Soccer Federation's new training center. The site could be in Fayette County. It doesn't mean this is where it's going, it's just one of the, I would imagine, many places vying to try to become the home of the United States Soccer Federation. And then we had uh, some high school breaking news on some private school, public school, state championship stuff. So that's just one day for 99 cents. That's that's a pretty good bargain, man. All right. A reminder to tell your friends about our show, and please give us a rating and a review on Spotify and Apple. That's what helps us grow the podcast. You'll hear from me next on Friday. We're going to wrap up the Philadelphia match, and then look ahead to the Columbus match, which will be Saturday night at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. As always, hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones. Thanks for listening to Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Y'all take care.